Okay, so everybody, welcome to our final The God Talks, that's what we call it, uh, for 2021. And uh, the reason is we've done two terms, The Life of Jacob and The Book of James, and I think I've done a bad job because we haven't finished The Book of James, but we do want to finish the year. A lot of people are under pressure, final year exams and things like that. So we are going to finish it tonight. And what I've decided to do is I've picked a different passage. Uh, so if you go to www.simplygod.net and you click on the God Talks, you go to that page, scroll down, the passage and the points, the outline will be there for you. And you'll see we are going to be picking it up in James chapter 3 from verse 17. Why this passage? Well, first of all, we're not going to finish the book of James. And remember, it's an open discussion. So I'm thinking of preaching through James in term one on Sundays next year. And I'm waiting for the fatal objection. But so far, everyone's happy because I want to do the book justice. That's the first thing. And the reason I picked this passage tonight is because I think you're going to see this is an epitome passage. No such word. But it is a passage that really shows you the logic of the book of James because it's about double-minded. And so tonight, the, pas the, the talk tonight is called Simply Make Up Your Mind. Simply Make Up Your Mind. And those of you who have been coming to the book of James, you know that the book of James is about simple Christianity, not dumb Christianity. Simple. One thing. Just one thing. And uh, one thing. And double-mindedness is the thing we all struggle with. So let me pray, uh, and I'll read it to you, because it's not a long passage, and we'll try and finish up tonight. So let me pray. Father, please help us. Please, uh, we're, we're just flesh, and our flesh, some of us have had dinner, and some of us, our tummies are growling, and it's hard to concentrate at the end of a busy year and uh, end of a day, and so will your spirit, who never grows tired, empower us, strengthen us, and feed our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Simply make up your mind. Look, look at this. James 3 from verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I, verse 5 is so badly translated. I don't want anyone to get jarred. But I'm going to read it as I put it in the outline for you. 
Um, but it reads better like this. Or, um, does the scripture speak in a meaningless way when it says that the spirit he made dwells in us yearns with sinful jealousy? And I will explain that all to you when we get to it. No, he gives more grace, verse 6. And therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There you go. You double-minded. Did you see? That's why I picked this passage. Because that's the theme of the book of James. Double-mindedness. So be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, it's very weird that I should remember this. I was the best man at a wedding once, and I had to give the speech, as, as you do, as a best man. And, and it's weird that I always remember this one incident. So my mate Dogbreath was getting uh, married, and... My friend Simo, which isn't the Eagles coach, he was just, his name is Wayne Symington, but so we all called him Simo. And I was terrified. I'm very frightened of public speaking. I really am. And so I had to get up in front of all these people and give this best man speech. And obviously when I got up, he could see I was terrified. And so Simo said these words to me that I'll never forget. He said, and he's like a hippie. Okay, Simo was a hippie. We were all hippies. Actually, did you know, off the point. Simba became a Christian before I did. So wow, but that's another subject. But anyway, at that time he was a hippie. And so Simba said to me, dude, find your inner peace. Find your inner peace. And I've never forgotten that piece of advice. Never. Because of the rest of my life until I became a Christian. I always wondered, what is that? What is this inner peace of which I know nothing of? Because anyone who knows me, I'm looking across there, that couple at the back there, don't turn and look because it's embarrassing. They've known me forever, like a long time. And the last thing they'll describe me is peaceful. I am not peaceful. I'm Mr. Hyper, concert still, you know, full tilt crash, full tilt crash. That, that's how I live. And so I'd love to find this inner peace. I mean, I know people who spend money to go to amazing places to find peace. When all along it's right there inside you. Did you know that? You can find your inner peace. So what is this thing? I would love to find it. But now, decades later, and since I've become a Christian, I've realized a few things. I've learned two things. And in fact, I don't want to exaggerate. I've probably learned three things, but, um, but no more than that. And here's what I've learned. God's idea of peace is very different to the peace the world talks about. There's a very different type of peace. And so Jesus says in John 14, uh, My peace I give you, not as the world gives you, I give you. Jesus' peace, God's peace, is different to the world's peace. And here's the interesting thing. The second thing I've learned about peace is not only is God's peace different, God's peace doesn't come from within. You can't find it. Don't look in there because it ain't there. 
It's a peace that God gives you. It's a peace that comes from God. And it's very different. Let me show you why. Because the world's peace, the peace the world speaks about, is peace with yourself. The peace the world gives you is a peace you have with yourself. And therefore, it's not hard to understand that you can have peace with yourself and still fight with other people. Um, I've got a vicious temper, but you know what? I'm at peace with that, so I'm just never going to talk to her again. You see, it's a peace that you have with yourself, and it doesn't necessarily reflect on others. In fact, the world's peace is where you learn to accept your sin and to live with your sin and be happy with who you are. Never mind the rest. Whereas God's peace is completely different. God's peace is a peace that comes from him because it's not about being at peace with yourself. It's about being at peace with God. And when you're at peace with God, here's the big difference. It flows over into peace with others. Have a look. That's why I put verse 17 there. Look at James 3 verse 17. But the wisdom from above, it comes from God, is first pure. Now watch, he's going to repeat peace three times. It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, the peace that comes from God <coughs> restores a relationship vertically, you and God, and then it flows over into relationships with others. Whereas the world's peace is just about you and you. It might have good effect on others. I'm not denying that. But it's not about that. And so the question tonight, how do we get peace from God? I want peace. So my friend Simmer said, look inside you. And I never found it. But now I feel I'm quite peaceful. How do I get this peace from God. Well, what James is going to do is first he's going to show us where our lack of peace comes from. Where does your come from? Where does your non-peace, is there such a word? Where does it come from? He's going to show us it comes from one place, double-mindedness. The reason you're not happy as a Christian or the reason you're not happy as a sinner is double-mindedness. So what's the solution? Keep it simple, silly. Make up your mind. And that's the heart of the book of James. So have a look with me. It's all on your outline for you. Uh, we'll go as fast as we can. Number one, double-mindedness causes the war within. So double-mindedness causes the war within. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. So, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why are people fighting? Why do we fight? And the answer is, look at that, second half of verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Did you see that? 
What James is saying is there is a war raging inside of you that spills out to other people. When a guy blows the hooter, that's a South African word and it's unacceptable in Australia. When a guy blows the horn in the traffic, and then there's a big altercation and swear words and he gets out and we're looking at a road rage incident. You know that fight's happening because he's at war with himself. Long before that guy cut him off in the traffic. You see, you see what I'm saying? The war inside spills out. It's like a pub. You know, if you live in rough places like Hillary's and that. Uh, if you have a fight inside the pub, how long? before the fight spills out onto the street. And that's what James is saying. In our hearts, there's a big brawl going on, and it spills out into fighting with other people. Okay, so uh, the water boys. I can't be the only one here who knows the water boys. It's a band, and one of their great songs. But anyway, the, the war inside of you is tearing you up inside. It's a line from one of their songs. Okay, now specifically he says this. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? What's passions? Well, you could also translate it desires, but really it is a, it's a phrase, desire for pleasure. The word is hedone, and guess what? You know where that, the word is hedonism. The word, or as you say, hedonism, but... It comes from that word. It's those who are driven by passionate desires. Um, it's desire for pleasure. It doesn't have to be sexual. It's just a desire for pleasure, you know. And uh, so the question is, where do you get your pleasure from? And the war within you starts because you desire pleasure and you're not getting it. And so there's a war within you, and it spills out into a war with others. James's solution, as you're going to see, is the same as he's been saying the whole way through the book. If you derive your pleasure, your joy from God, then these other things won't mean that much to you. And therefore, you won't have a war inside. And therefore, you'll be at peace with other people. And of course, the world offers pleasures as well. And so our hearts are torn. We're double-minded because we want the pleasures of the world, but we want the pleasures of God. Oh, and I don't know which one's better. And on Tuesdays, I love God, but on Wednesdays, I love this. And but on Thursdays, I love, you know, and we are torn within ourselves. It's like my wife. My wife suffers. I'm sure you heard me say this before, and I'm very brave when she's not here. Um... She's got a thing called menunitis. Now, what happens with menunitis is that if you give her a menu, she freezes. I don't even read the whole menu. To be honest with you, I see the first thing I like, which is usually the first thing I see, and I order that. And I'm happy. And she says, but you haven't read? No, I'm not. I'm happy. She reads that whole menu, and then she's stuck. Stuck. And um, it's so bad that she orders the fish, right? And when the fish comes... She is enjoying it, but really she's thinking, maybe I should have ordered the steak, you know. So she doesn't really enjoy the fish because she's thinking, I should have ordered the steak. Meantime, I'm like, 
you know, as long as there's a vast quantity, I'm happy, you know, um, etc. Now, you can see that this problem James is speaking about is a Christian problem. Think about it. The world is just eating fish. God's not a concern. I get my pleasure from here. The only time I'm fighting is if I don't get enough pleasure from that. You know what? God's not an option. For the Christian, sadly, you're stuck. You can't enjoy the world because you know God is true and he's awesome. And you can't enjoy God because you also think the world can give you true joy and so you have neither. You've got spiritual menunitis. And you get pulled in both directions. And this war spills over towards others. And that's the second thing. So this war inside, number two, spills over. Double-mindedness causes wars with others. Watch. You desire and you do not have. So you murder. You covet and you can't obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. Can you see what's happening? You're fighting with others because you're unhappy and not at peace. You know, I just suddenly thought of something. This is a better illustration. Someone says to you, you're an idiot. Someone really goes off at you. You're a... If you derive your sense of worth from God because you love him, think how you will react when someone shouts. You're like, oh, that's interesting. How did you come to that? <laughs> you know, you're just not phased by it. But if God doesn't fill your heart and you derive pleasure by what people think of you, for example, when she turns to you and says, you're a little, you like, you're ready to fight. You've got to fight for your honor. You see the difference? Because you derive value from them instead of from God, you're ready to fight. Uh, but that just jumped into my head. There's two very clever phrases in verse 2. Very clever phrases. Look at this. You desire and do not have. That's very clever. You desire, but you don't have. Why can't someone put up their hand and say, no, 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 no. I desire and I do have. Here's why. Because your desires are lying to you. They don't deliver on their promises. Think carefully about this. You desire that thing, but that thing won't give you what you desire. I'm going to say that twice. You desire this thing, but this thing won't give you what you desire. It makes these promises. And you think it'll give, but it won't. It won't. It's like the book of Ecclesiastes says, it's like chasing the wind. All you will be is a person who desires and never gets satisfied. No one who desires something more than God will be satisfied with that thing. No one who desires something more than God will be satisfied with that thing. Because that's the nature of fallen human beings. We are, our desires are insatiable. 
The obvious example is divorce. It's an obvious example. When you marry someone, you look at that person and you think, all I want, wait, there's a song, you too. That's right. Hawk moon, do you see? All I want is you. All I want is you. And then you get divorced. You said, you said all you want, but now what happened? It's the human spirit, the human nature. When I desire something and I get it, I suddenly find I still desire. You see what, that's what James is saying. You desire, but you don't obtain. The human uh, desire is insatiable. The second phrase, which is very clever, is you covet, but you can't obtain. Look what it says there. You desire you don't have, you covet, you can't obtain. It's the same thing. What he's saying is that you just, we are born with an infinite appetite. Now everyone ask yourself, why is this the case? Why? And the answer is, duh. Because we were created and designed to desire something infinite. God. The reason we have an infinite appetite is because we were designed to love God, who is infinite, so he can satisfy you. Who thinks they're going to get bored in heaven? Well, obviously, if God is not infinite, you will. But since he's infinite, your desire will just keep, like Hamlet said, feeding on its appetite, you know. So the war within spills over to the war without. And so James says, you just have desires and you can't satisfy yourself. So you murder. That's not literal. James is not saying, he's not writing to the church and saying, look, and a couple, you know, there were a couple that came last week and they haven't come because you guys killed them. Uh, so please stop killing each other. Um, it's not literal. James is not saying you're murdering. What he is saying is that that's where it goes to. When you look at someone with hatred, you say, you are you such a blah, blah. That feeling is the same as someone who kills someone. It's just escalated. It's just a trajectory, you know, and you fight and you quarrel. The underlying problem is that we are driven by conflicting desires. So, double-mindedness causes the war within. Double-mindedness causes the war within to spill out into a war with others. And thirdly, double-mindedness causes war with God. So look at what happens. Uh, look at the end of verse 2. You don't have because you don't ask. You've stopped praying. I'm not going to ask God for this. You know why? Because he's not going to give it to me. So what's the point? You've already gone down the wrong road already. By the way, did you see in the 500 words I wrote a thing called why bother praying if God knows? Or I don't know if you read that. You can read it afterwards if you're having trouble falling asleep. But if you read that 500 words, what I said there is one of the reasons we pray to God, even though he knows what we need, is because one of the reasons is that it shows us what our sins are. If you want something that you can't ask God for, you know you want the wrong thing. See, it's, it's a great way to learn what your sins are. And so this thing here, when he says you, you don't have because you don't ask, he's already saying you don't want to ask God because you know he's not going to give it to you, right? He's not going to give it to you. And more than that, not only has your prayer life gone out the window, look at verse 3. So when you do ask, 
you still don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on those passions, those evil desires. Your desire for X is greater than your desire for God. And you've got the cheek to ask God for it. And he's not going to give it to you because why would God give you an idol? <laughs> why would God give you an idol to replace himself? Huh? Would any of you give drugs to your children? You know? Why would God give you something that you desire more than him? Why would God give you an idol? If God gives you what you desire so much that it's tearing you apart from him, all he's doing is throwing fuel onto the fire of your passions, you know. He's making it even worse. Now, this state of double-mindedness, what James does is he gives us two illustrations. One is from marriage and one is from politics or war, whatever. So look what he says. You, verse 4, you adulterous people. And I'm going off the point because I just can't resist and it's the last one for the year. Can you see how evil the prosperity gospel is? Can you see? Because it's the opposite of what James teaches, is that you take your passions to God and he gives you what you love. I mean, it's so wrong, you know, anyway, but like I said, that was off the point. So he gives us two illustrations. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people. What he's saying is the illustration is marriage. And when you, you know, get married, it's you for me and me for you for life. Uh, you know, it's, uh, what do you call that? Mono, how do you say it? Monogamy. Monogamy. Most guys think that's a type of wood anyway. But uh, it's monogamy. You know, one guy, one woman, forever. And God is saying, but that's what Christianity is. It's you and me, forever, together. You know, you meant to love me first, always, forever. I occupy your heart. And when you start loving others, you're cheating on me. That's why it says you're adulterous people. Christianity is a covenant. God has married you. If you're a Christian, at the cost of the blood of the new covenant, you know all these things. And so, of course, to love anything more than God is to cheat on him, to be an adulterer. But second illustration is the one about political alliances. Therefore, look what it says there. Uh, do you not know, verse 4, that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, James is not saying Christians must be obnoxious, which they do very well by themselves. But James is not endorsing that. He's not saying don't be unfriendly to the world. What he's saying, though, is if you love the world, if your heart goes after the world, if your heart is drawn to the world, you can no longer be friends with God because you're torn. You, 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 Taiwan and China. So is China going to invade Taiwan? I don't know. You know, it, it, I mean, wow. It all looks like it's heating up. So what happens when Australia, say Tony Abbott, the previous, you know, a few prime ministers ago, goes to Taiwan? 
What do you think China does? They get mad with Australia. Why? Because you're making friends with our enemy. You know, how much more? Imagine if Scott Morrison went to Taiwan to make friends. That's that, you know what that's called? That's called poking the panda bear. <laughs> uh, you know, when you poke with China, you know. But the point is, when you make friends with someone's enemy, you're making an enemy of them. It's, lo it's logic, right? And God says, when you love the world, like 1 John says, then the love of the Father is not in you. Your heart, you think your heart's very big, but your heart can only take one love at a time. And God says, when you love the world, you can't love me, etc. And so, when we endorse our sinful desires, we make peace with our sinful desires, we are making war with God. So, we have a heart that is divided and torn, drawn to the world, drawn to God. And we are so sinful. Do you know what we do? Whose fault is all of this? So, I've been talking this whole time about double-mindedness. Let's all be honest. Whose fault is it? You know, we are so sinful. We all want to say, well, it's God's fault. He made me like this. <laughs> we are so sinful that not only do we do the wrong thing, we blame God for our wrong things, you know. Why did God make us your fault? But that's what verse 5 is saying. And I know the way your Bibles have put it is, like it's impossible to understand. So I've written it in your notes for you. Verse 5 says something like this. Or, do you suppose that Scripture speaks in this meaningless way? The spirit he may dwell in us yearns with sinful jealousy. What he's saying is, don't say, but God, you put the spirit in me that causes me to love lots of different things. That's what it's saying. And if you can ask afterwards why I think that's a better translation. I'll give you lots of reasons. But, um, but that is what it's saying. Because what it says there makes no sense at all. Um, what this verse is saying is that stop saying God Put the, you know, have you ever heard that car sticker? <laughs> heard a car sticker and as it drives into you. But um, have you seen the car sticker that says, you know, it's God's fault he made women so beautiful. You see what's going on there? That's exactly what verse 5 is saying is not true. God did make women beautiful. Let's, but it's your desires that have turned it into something it ought not to be. That's, that's James chapter 1. Remember, every good and perfect gift comes from God. It's you who've taken a good and perfect gift and turned it into something it ought not to be. It's not God's fault. Let me show you what God does. Verse 6. But he, this is what God does, gives more grace. Who's the he? Well, it's very clear in the context. It's the Spirit. You said the spirit you put in me causes me to do all well, rubbish. Not true. But actually, the spirit he put in you gives more grace. And therefore it says, and this is a quote from the Bible, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Astonishingly, astonishingly, in the light of all of this double-mindedness, here I am, double-minded. I'm double-minded in myself and I've got a war going on. 
I'm double-minded in myself and the war spills over into fighting with others. I'm double-minded fighting with myself, fighting with others, and now I'm fighting with God. And finally, I just end up blaming God and the whole thing's too darn difficult anyway. You know what God's response is? He gives even more grace. How amazing is God? You know why? Because God is single-minded. He loves you. He's not two minds. God doesn't look at... Let's pick on me. God doesn't look at Dwayne and go, I'm in two minds. Heaven, hell for Dwayne. Mm. I'm in two minds. No such thing. God is one-minded. I love Dwayne. I gave him grace. I'm going to give him more until I get him in heaven with me. God is one-minded. And so what he does is he gives us grace, which is the only answer to double-mindedness. The only answer to the whole dilemma is grace, where God has to rescue us from ourselves. One of my greatest prayers is, God, please rescue me from me. It's a great prayer to pray. Why more grace? Look what it says there. God opposes the proud, gives grace to them. Why is it God gives more grace? Because even in this passage, he's given us grace already. He, he, he re- Look what it says when it says, you adulterous people. That's grace, because God's saying, I married you. So already there's grace, because God made you his people. Now you're cheating on him. So there's grace there. There's more grace, because it says, you want to be a friend of the world, you make God an enemy. Well, that tells me that I was a friend of God. That's already grace. You know, there's, there's been grace, you know. Scattered throughout the passage, but God gives even more grace. Now, what does grace do? Grace, verse 5, is the spirit that lives within us. The spirit, Holy Spirit, that he caused to live within us does not cause us to have divisions, but drives us to love God. And the only reason we even vaguely Love God is because the Spirit worked in us in the first place. If you were there on Sunday, and if you weren't, naughty you, but if you were there on Sunday, what did we learn about grace? What did we learn about grace? What is grace? Grace is when God gives himself to you. Nothing less than that is worthy of the name grace. Grace is when God gives himself to you, because he can't get more than that. And verse 5 says, God gave us his spirit. And what does grace do? And that's where we close. Grace leads us to work hard. Everyone hear this. You don't work hard to get grace. But when you get grace, you work hard. Like marriage. You marry someone and then you never have to work on the relationship ever again. Because you're married. You're stuck. You know, and who you know and who feels like going through a divorce? That's a big nah. You know what? Dwayne, no wonder you're married. No. You get married and the work starts, as you know, you know? And it's the same with God. He married you by grace. He's put his spirit within you. And so what do you do now? You work hard. 
and so I'm, I'm going to, it's all there on your outline for you. Very quickly, bottom line, how do you summarize this? Humble yourself. Just go soft. That's my favorite line. You know this, when I was d disciplining my children, not anymore, but when they were little, the thing I would teach them is, watch out, don't go hard, go soft. You know, just go soft, you've done wrong, go soft. And the way you humble yourself is all those verbs, and, and I'll go through it very quickly. This is why I want to preach through this next year, because we'll take a bit of time on these things. But the first thing, look at all these verbs, verse 7 to verse 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. In other words, obey him. Even when you're feeling this raging war, just submit. Lay it down, go soft. Go make your bed. Oh, okay, sorry, that was the kids. But, you know, God, just, just go soft. Submit to God. Secondly, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, if you resist and say, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going down there, he will flee from you. Because those two things, the more you resist the devil, the more he has less of a hold on you. Number three, draw near to God. My favorite Christian book, uh, which is a lie, because I'll say that about lots of books, but I do think this is my favorite one, is an entire book on those words, draw near to God. That's it. That's how they wrote in those days. And so it's about 200 years old. But the whole book is just on that line, draw near to God. In other words, draw near to God. What does that mean? Go seek him. I was talking to my son, was it yesterday? I said, dude, stop reading your Bible. Draw near to God. It's a big difference, you know. Because some of us think by reading the Bible, something's going to happen. Read your Bible, of course. You know what I mean. In order to find the God who's there. God, I don't feel I'm close to you at all. So I'm going to read this Bible because I want to draw near to you. And you read it and you think, God, how? In other words, put effort in. Don't just read words. You're not reading a book on botany or whatever. Draw. Cleanse your hands. Look what it says there. In other words, stop doing what you're doing. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. In other words, turn your heart to God. Ask him to forgive you, wash you clean, and present your heart to him. Bottom line, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. Now, you saw what it said there, wretched, more, see, Christian, who, who wants to be a Christian? Bunch of whiners. Wretched, mourn, weep, turn your laughter into mourning, your joy to... What? Oh, that does, does that sound like fun? No, but you're missing the point. What he's saying is that's the way you humble yourself before the Lord. And look at the end of verse 10. And he will exalt you. If your laughter and your joy and your happiness and everything comes from the world, well... You know, why would you want God? But if you turn your back on those things and you derive pleasure and joy from him, he will exalt you. He will give you those things. And then the world is your oyster. Because I'm not saying you then live in a monastery. I'm saying then everything 
can be yours, provided he is your first love. So that's how you... I guess let me close with this illustration. And it is an illustration I've used before, and someone did get upset with me once for using this illustration, but it's just an illustration. And you've heard me say it before, but I think it's very clever. It's like the grandfather sitting with his grandson. And the grandfather says to him, you know, boy, inside you there are two wolves and they are always fighting. They will never make friends. They will fight to death. A black wolf and a white wolf. And they will fight forever. And obviously the little boy says, and granddaddy, which one will win? And the grandfather says, easy, the one you feed the most. What James is saying in verse 8, now that's all new age. This person got all grumpy with me. I understand that. I wasn't preaching new age. I was using it as an illustration. But there you go, that's another. But what is James saying? In verse 7 to verse 10, James is not just saying feed the wolf you want to win. He's also saying, starve the other one. That's what he's saying. Feed the one, starve the other. And that's it. And when you do that, you will end up with your heart repaired, having one desire. And then, quite honestly, back to where we began, you will experience the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Because quite honestly, nothing else phases you. No one can take your joy. Blah, blah, blah. Alright. Well, that's enough of that. I shall pray and I'm happy to take um, a couple of questions. And, and please give me your comments. I'm just quickly going to the sound thing.